Is this the chemical co? Yeah, a chemical company. Do you, do you have a, a minute to talk? Is now an okay time for you? Uh, What's wrong? I'm climbing stairs. You're, you're climbing stairs? Yeah, I just finished the spot. Uh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, in learning more about your company and some products. I'm a, a researcher in the United States. Research chemicals. And, uh, I think uh, that is what you are interested in. Exactly, exactly. Um, my name is Keegan. What, what's your name? Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> well, can you tell me about this uh, fentanyl replacement that you sell? The fentanyl analog replacement? You are, you are, you are the first customer who, who called me in phone, you know. <laughs> I seldom speak English. He tells me we're the first customers to call him on the phone. He doesn't speak English often, but we can add him on Signal, an encrypted messaging app. Yeah, add my Signal. We can talk there. I know what he wants. I'm Keegan Hamilton, and this is Painkiller. Episode three, I know what you want. Should I message him? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so I'm typing out. Hello, we just spoke by phone. This is our mystery man whose name doesn't matter. Do you still sell fentanyl analog? He set his messages to disappear too. A fentanyl analog is a chemical variation of the drug. These are illegal in the U.S. He says, I don't really have it now, not anymore. He says, actually, I am busy on teaching people to make it themselves. Dude, this guy's sketchy as fuck. Yeah. I made it years ago. That's why I'm teaching now. This is not how I thought our night was going to go. Guy on signal offered to teach us how to make fentanyl with some basic chemicals. I feel like if we could keep this dialogue going, it could eventually be like, if we came to see you, could you teach us how to make it? To be clear, we have no intention of buying drugs, buying the recipe to make drugs, or actually making any drugs. But these recipes aren't really secret. I found them just by searching on Google. Apparently, there are a few different ways to synthesize fentanyl in a lab. Some methods use basic chemicals that are available for making normal stuff, like rubber or clothing dyes. But if you're not a trained chemist, you still need detailed instructions to figure everything out. That's what Mr. Yu says he sells, a step-by-step guide with pictures. We ask for more details, but that's all he'll tell us for now. All the shipping info uh, was in the shipping label and return address and customs stuff all indicated that the package was from China. Dark web trafficker Brandon Hubbard was selling fentanyl that he got from China. It's where a lot of the fentanyl that's been killing people in the U.S. has come from. 
the fentanyl issue is a very, very big deal. This is Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin talking about it. President Xi said they're going to change major rules and regulations, specifically because President Trump asked him in an understanding that this is killing many Americans. The Chinese government is supposedly cracking down on the black market. But just type buy fentanyl from China into Google, and you can still find Chinese suppliers offering to ship the drug right to your front door. We wanted to know, is it really that easy? Who exactly is selling this stuff? And why is China such a major source? Drug trafficking in China can get you the death penalty. So speaking to the media is a huge risk for traffickers. And only a few reporters have been able to find Chinese dealers willing to talk, let alone meet in person. We set out to find the person in China who sold the fentanyl to Brandon Hubbard, the stuff that Bailey Hinkey later OD'd on. But our most promising lead was the conversation you heard at the beginning of this episode. That guy asked us to call him Mr. Yu. Even though we only told him we we're researchers, he obviously assumed we wanted to buy drugs. And he seemed open to meeting in person. So we went to China. So I've been, um, so I'm sitting at the Hong Kong airport waiting for my flight to the mainland uh, in the city of Nanchang uh, and started messaging on Signal with this guy, Mr. Yu. He clearly thinks that we're uh, going to give him some money for his fentanyl recipe, which is definitely not the case. Our, our hope is to basically agree to a meeting and then, uh, you know, come out and say, hey, we're, we're actually journalists and we want to talk to you about this business on the condition of anonymity, probably. Uh, so we'll see if that comes together. Um, seems like a long shot, but it's the best lead we got right now. The next day, I'm in mainland China, in a city called Nanchang. I'm with Karen Yi, our Chinese field producer. Uh, Karen, how are you doing today? Good. Just good? Yeah. We're stopping in Nanchang first because it's hosting a huge conference for the Chinese pharmaceutical industry. And we want to get a sense of what that industry looks like on the ground. For decades now, the global medical supply chain has relied on Chinese companies like the ones at this conference. They hold these events a few times a year in different cities and hundreds of companies show up. These are legal companies not the people selling fentanyl on the black market. They make all kinds of products. We're here to see the gigantic scale of the Chinese chemical industry and to meet some of the people making fentanyl for medicine. All right, we've uh, entered this conference space and there are a lot of people around. It's kind of hectic, it's loud. Oh, we've got confetti cannons. We've got confetti cannons. All the CEOs are on stage and they, they have now started shooting gold confetti into the air. This industry is massive and the conference reflects that. It's in a space that's maybe four or five football fields long, inside a huge convention center. You've got machines to package stuff into bottles and individual doses. One corner looks like a Willy Wonka factory for pills. Wow, look at that. Looks like a wall of, oh, is that a photo? Or are those real? Oh, those are real. <laughs> That's a wall of gel caps. <laughs> crazy. Oh, there's so many colors. Orange, green, yellow, red. <laughs> wow. 
And then there's a whole area full of booths with big glass jars of white powders on display. These are the chemical manufacturers. But the companies that sell fentanyl are more low-key. They're not advertising their products on big signs or anything like that. We only know where to look because Karen researched them ahead of time. This product? Fentanyl. Okay. Oh, he just said they don't, they don't do interviews. Oh, okay. They don't accept the interviews. Yeah. Okay, Karen, we, uh, we got shut down pretty fast there. What, what happened? Uh, the guy just came over and he said, we don't accept interviews. I asked why. He said because their products are heavily regulated and restricted by the state. Um, so that's why their products cannot be shown on mass media. This is a pretty recent change. Until 2019, most types of fentanyl were unregulated in China. There were no laws about who could make it and who couldn't. But that meant Chinese-made fentanyl was pouring into the U.S. In the 2018 fiscal year, U.S. Customs and Border Protection seized 266 pounds of fentanyl in the U.S. mail system enough for hundreds of millions of individual doses. And that's just the stuff they were able to find. The fact that a bunch of fentanyl was coming into the U.S. was bad press for the Chinese government. I think President Xi, who's somebody I like a lot, I think he wants to make a deal, but frankly, he's not going fast enough. Then Trump took up the issue. He said he was going to stop fentanyl from coming into our country. It's all coming out of China. He didn't do that. We're losing thousands of people to fentanyl. He lumped fentanyl in with the trade war. Until such time as there's a deal, we'll be taxing them. And then China caved. In May of 2019... And now China is taking a step that could hopefully curb that number, announcing that it will treat all variants of fentanyl as controlled substances. The government enacted a ban on fentanyl analogs, which meant all these different types of synthetic opioids became controlled substances. So fentanyl is a touchy subject now. Now a court in China has sentenced uh, nine people for trafficking the synthetic drug fentanyl. And remember, Chinese drug laws are super strict. One person was given a suspended death sentence for smuggling fentanyl into the U.S. So when we finally meet someone at the conference who's willing to talk to us about fentanyl, it's no surprise that he isn't Chinese. Hello. Oh my God, you want to interview me? Yeah, if you have a few minutes. Sure, sure, sure. My name's Keegan, how are you? Hey Keegan, how are you? Good. My name's Ray. Ray's company, which is based in India, specializes in generic drugs. And lately, they've been trying to import generic fentanyl into China. To be clear, Ray's trying to sell fentanyl legally for medical use. And the alternatives that we have is sufentanil, remifentanil. Those kind of products in China right now are a very big market, but very few suppliers. So the prices are very high. Have you had any interest so far? Uh, you've been at the conference for, I guess, a day and a half now. Yeah. Has anybody inquired about uh, importing these products? It seems like, given the circumstance that you're describing, it seems like there should be some no, interest. No, I'm surprised. From no, I haven't. Even in the last show in June, we haven't. We have not found. Uh, I, I have reason to believe that's because people have much other opportunities that are easier. Controlled products make it harder. So if, if you're a businessman out to make a dollar and you can make it with less squeeze, you can make the same amount of juice. Why would you want to squeeze more? <laughs> other than Ray, we only see a couple of other stands advertising fentanyl. But even so, many of the basic chemicals and machines used to make fentanyl are available on the conference floor. 
What's obvious is that even with the ban, if you're willing to take the risk and produce illegal fentanyl, it's easy to get your hands on all the supplies you need. All it takes is one chemist with the know-how. Sui says. While we're at the conference, I've also been messaging with Mr. Yu. During a break, my producer Jesse asked for an update. Tell me about this combo you had with Mr. Yu. So yesterday at 11.15 a.m., I sent him a pretty general, like, hello, friend, how have you been? I asked if he would be willing, still willing to meet with us, and he said, you're welcome to come to China. And I said, yeah, uh, it's possible. Where are you at in China? And he said, Shandong province. He kind of went off on a little tangent where we sort of started talking about random stuff where he, he brought up the current controversy about the NBA in China with the general manager of the Rockets tweeting uh, in support of the Hong Kong protests. I'm also into the NBA, so it's easy to make conversation about this with Mr. Yu. And so I asked him, like, oh, you know, it's a shame. Basketball should be for everyone. What's your favorite NBA team? He says he doesn't have a favorite team, but he's a fan of LBJ. He's LeBron James. Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing pictures of him everywhere here. Uh, And he says the Lakers give me the most fun. And then he suggests, well, maybe we can meet in Shanghai. Uh, In my city, you may draw a lot of attention, which I am worried. And he says, we are not buy and selling toys. And so I say, whatever you prefer, Shanghai is convenient for travel. And then he switches gears a little bit and seems to go philosophical, where he says, does this thing harm USA people badly? I saw it a lot in the news. And we were trying to tread delicately with this. And so I said, yes, this has been on my mind a lot recently. Unfortunately, it's causing problems, but there is still demand by people who use it. And he says, huge demand. Almost every week, people came from nowhere asking for Fent. You know, after messaging back and forth, figuring out that they were a chemical manufacturer in China and they were willing to send, you know, multiple samples of the fentanyl that they manufactured over. Uh, the Chinese chemical manufacturers sent, you know, a box full of samples. train to Wuhan, about 500 miles west of Shanghai. Wuhan has been in the news more recently for the coronavirus outbreak. In China's coronavirus outbreak, which began in the city of Wuhan, 11 million people are being told they can't leave. But we were there a few months before people started getting sick. Wuhan is a massive city of 11 million people. Sort of like Chicago in the U.S., it's a transportation hub in the middle of China. It's also one of China's main chemical production centers. Hundreds of factories in the area pump out all kinds of chemicals and medicines. We went there because it's long been a major source of illicit fentanyl, both the finished product and the precursor chemicals that are used to cook it. I had a feeling that he could have been anywhere, uh, Canada, China, uh, Spain. The investigation into Bailey Hinkey's overdose connected the dots from Brandon Hubbard all the way to a Chinese fentanyl trafficker named Jian Zhang. Prosecutors revealed today that Zhang and another Chinese man have been charged with making tons of fentanyl at labs and plants they controlled in China. We managed to track his organization to Wuhan. So we started going around the city looking for their offices and factories. We find what we think are the addresses for Zhang's office space and chemical factory on Google Maps. 
But when we go to that location... No luck? Couldn't find it. Couldn't find the address? Nope. But on Google, it should be right here. That one? I don't know. Just couldn't find the address. We spend the rest of the day like this. The next address is... Uh, it's a sort of commercial building with a few different businesses. The dance studio, some sort of skincare dermatology office. The address after that is in a residential building. The space looks empty, so we ring the next door neighbor's doorbell. An older man answers the door, and a little dog with a bell on its collar runs out into the hallway. So he says, oh, um, this is not a company, it's like... He said this place used to be a company. It was about three years ago. And he doesn't know what company it is or the name of it. In the end, we come up with nothing. Okay, so uh, how, how are you feeling, Keegan? Uh, I'm somewhat disappointed. I think it was revealing that like these companies will just either pick up and move when they get identified publicly, or they'll just list a phony address that doesn't exist at all. <laughs> what do you? How do you feel, Karen? Do you feel like today was a total waste of time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which just goes to show why it's so difficult to prosecute these fentanyl manufacturers. They're very hard to find. We reached out repeatedly to the Chinese government about Zhang. They never responded, but in an interview with Vice in 2017, Chinese authorities told us he's still free because they never saw any evidence that he broke Chinese laws. And even if they were to arrest him, China doesn't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. We got a Mr. Yu message while we're in there. Oh, really? Our last day in Wuhan, while we're out reporting, Mr. Yu contacts me again. He asks, Hi, friend, you got your tickets booked already? Land in Shanghai this Wednesday? Um, say, so yeah, you've already booked your tickets. We Just say you'll be there on Wednesday. Don't tell me Yes, yeah. It seems like Mr. Yu is actually going to meet with us. We haven't really discussed the deal he thinks we're going to make, just that there'll be fentanyl tech involved. That's what he calls the recipe for fentanyl. This is what some Chinese traffickers have turned to, selling the recipe instead of actual fentanyl because of the government crackdown. Mr. Yu is scared. He thinks we might be DEA agents coming to arrest him, or the family of an overdose victim coming to seek revenge. He's also really afraid of the Chinese authorities. Part of the reason this is such a sensitive issue is because of China's long history with opioids, a history the Chinese government considers a national humiliation. The first modern opioid crisis happened in China in the mid-1800s. British merchants started bringing opium from India into China, where it was illegal. The British and Chinese fought two wars, and the British won both times. And they forced China to legalize opium. When communists expand their hold on the countryside... Then, in the mid-1900s, you've got Mao's revolution. Until, in Mao's words, the cities of China fall like ripe fruit. It was Mao that ended widespread cultivation and use of opium in China. 
He also cut China off from Western medicine for decades. But after Mao died in 1976, China opened up for business with the West. And right away, one pharmaceutical company came in and started making waves. That company was Xi'an Janssen. The scientific journal Nature considered Paul Janssen arguably the most successful drug discoverer of all time. Xi'an Janssen is named after Paul Janssen, the Belgian chemist who invented fentanyl. Janssen started doing business in China in 1978, and Xi'an Janssen quickly became the premier drug company in China. Janssen didn't just create fentanyl. He invented treatments for everything from schizophrenia to dandruff, and he became an important figure in the Chinese drug industry. One of its highest awards is named after him. Eventually, his company was bought out by Johnson & Johnson. We are Janssen, the pharmaceutical companies of Johnson & Johnson. A spokesperson for Johnson & Johnson told us they've stopped making fentanyl in China. But the modern fentanyl trade, legal and illegal, would have been impossible without Janssen's work developing the drug. After a couple days in Wuhan, we travel to Shanghai. Shortly after arriving, we receive a message from Mr. Yu. So yeah, Mr. Yu, we thought we had our meeting all locked up and airtight, um, but he's getting a little bit of cold feet and wants to be sure who we really are. So we sent him a video from our hotel room that shows the Shanghai skyline. I thought that he was wanted proof that we were actually in Shanghai and that we were going to show up, but then he sort of says, no, I want to be sure who you really are. He's saying that he'd previously done business with somebody in Mexico, and at first that person in Mexico had a lot of the same questions that we had, like, how do we know this is real? Why should we trust you? And it seemed like they had a long back and forth, and there was some discussion about the guy coming from Mexico to meet face-to-face, but ultimately that guy decided, I can just trust this Chinese guy, and then now they're business partners without ever having met face-to-face. Do you believe that there actually is a Mexican guy? Yes. This seems to be the pipeline now. Since Beijing tightened the laws on fentanyl, production is shifting from China to Mexico. We're going to ambush him, but not with handcuffs, only questions. We're going to ambush him with an NBA jersey. (laughs) I'm still texting back and forth with Mr. Yu, and we're spending a lot of time talking about basketball. That seems like our way in. So we bring him a LeBron James L.A. Lakers jersey. It's not something we'd normally do, but we've been told it's pretty standard in China to bring a small gift to a meeting like this. We're supposed to meet the next day, but we're worried that he'll bail. He's coming from a province north of Shanghai and says he has to take a 13-hour train ride. The next morning, we're hanging out in the park where we're supposed to meet Mr. Yu. I'm holding a shopping bag with this purple and gold jersey inside. We have no idea what Mr. Yu looks like, but he can probably guess who we are. Okay. Everybody else around us is Chinese. We start thinking anybody could be Mr. Yu. We got glasses. Is he looking at us? He did. It looks like a caricature of what you think a Chinese fentanyl dealer looks like, where he's got on 
dark aviator glasses. It's got a gray long sleeve polo shirt, some track pants. Looks a little disheveled when he slept on a train overnight. After a few minutes, Mr. Yu responds. He says he sees us and asks if Karen's with us. We didn't tell him beforehand that she was coming. Uh-oh. Oh my. Three Ys. Three Ys? Oh my. He says, how can I trust her? How can you trust? Chinese involved, much more dangerous for me. I know she will be great helper in judging me. I understand your meaning and respect that, but you didn't consider my concerns. You didn't even tell me in advance. It's because we knew it would freak him out. Yeah. We try to put Mr. Yu at ease, apologizing for bringing Karen along, but it doesn't seem to be working. So we send him a picture of the LeBron jersey. It's the moment of truth. See how far a fucking jersey gets you with a drug dealer. That was our ace in the fucking hole. <laughs> yes, you know my size. <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> you give him, yeah, give him a. Uh, uh, we had to guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually, Mr. Yu sets new terms. What do you say? You come north, please. There's another park 10 minutes walk away. Let the other two stay where they are. If we speak well, they can come. You gotta do it. Yeah, we can do it. All right. I can remember. Record her up. Before you leave, tell it you're gonna you're gonna tell us what park you're at. Yeah. And we're just gonna like. Karen gives me her cell phone, and we turn on location tracking so that she and Jesse can follow me on his phone. Then I head to the other park to meet Mr. Yu, alone. Mr. Yue. Nice to meet you. Sorry for the confusion. My fault. My fault. My fault. <laughs> Where would you like to sit? <laughs> Out of the sun? <laughs> My friends are very nervous now. <laughs> we both. We both. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Yu is a fit guy in his mid-30s. He has a buzz cut and glasses, and he's carrying a fanny pack. He seems nervous, but he's smiling. I'm recording with an iPhone in my pocket, so the audio quality isn't great. We changed his voice because we don't want to potentially put him in danger from law enforcement. After some awkward pleasantries, Mr. Yu asks about Karen. The Chinese girl. The Chinese girl. Yes. She works with us. Uh, her name is Karen. She's very nice. We trust her. What you want to sell is just information, right? Information, yes. Tech. The recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the reason that we came, I told you, we are researchers. So we don't make drugs. We do not. We only study this. We're journalists. So I hate to break it to you, but I'm not going to, to buy your tech from you. You, 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 you don't make, you don't carry out production by yourselves. You're a reporter. I'm a reporter. Without me mentioning the U.S., Mr. Yu starts talking about the effect of his drugs in America. You can hear him saying he's afraid of his drugs hurting people. I'm really afraid of hurting people. Mm -hmm. He's basically saying, those overdoses aren't my fault. I'm just a supplier giving customers what they want. The big responsibility belongs to U.S. 
to reduce demand for yeah. It's interesting because this is similar to what Chinese government officials have said about fentanyl, that it's on the U.S. to reduce demand for drugs. Do you mind if I message my friend and tell them I'm okay? They're very nervous right now. They don't know. How are you? How are you nervous? Nervous what? Nervous for what? It's very. I mean, we don't know who you are. They're nervous. They're we, hungry. I think. No, <laughs> they 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 want to know that I'm okay. You are okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> Mr. Yu kind of laughs and asks me who he's supposed to tell that he's okay. okay. Eventually, Mr. Yu agrees to let the rest of the team come to the park and meet us. Mr. Yu keeps saying he has to leave soon, but he doesn't leave. We talk about the NBA for like 20 minutes. He hates James Harden's playing style, and Jesse and I agree. Then he starts talking about his personal life. Now, we have to say up front that we can't fact check most of his claims. And the audio got a little bit worse at this point, so we'll paraphrase what Mr. Yu says. How did you. So when they, I don't, I, everyone wants to bet living. I was born in a poor family. Mr. Yu says he just wanted to earn a better living because he was born into a poor family in a poor village. His parents wanted him to get a master's degree, so he did, in biology. He worked in a factory as a chemist, but he never made enough money to support his whole family, which was the expectation. I left my job in the factory. Last year, he quit his job. He was spending a lot of time on the internet, and eventually he connected with someone who suggested Mr. Yu help himself fentanyl online. This person already had an online store on a site called LookChem, a sort of clearinghouse for chemical companies. He gave me that store to manage, uh, and we shared the profit. The person who helped Mr. Yu put him in charge of managing that online store and shared the profits. Mr. Yu says that he understands that fentanyl is, quote, just out of the law, but that the money he made paid for a car and a house. But even though fentanyl was technically legal at the time, his family got worried. Uh, I, I tried to calm them down. It's okay. I know what I'm doing. Mr. Yu tried to calm his parents. He told them that he knew what he was doing. Here, our conversation takes an odd turn. Mr. Yu says he's the poorest person in the fentanyl business. Then he calls himself a coward, repeatedly. I'm a coward Basically saying he doesn't have the guts to break the law and make more money. He also keeps trying to downplay his role in the fentanyl business, saying he's never made much money. I start to think he might be bullshitting us. Someone will do anything now. This is my maddest decision to meet you. Mr. Yu says that meeting us is his, quote, maddest decision. And he tells us that other online chemical salespeople know how to make a lot of money on the internet. But he's just a poor businessman, barely making enough to live comfortably. He claims he entered the fentanyl business too late, right before the government crackdown. And now he's too scared to sell actual fentanyl directly to the U.S. You buy I can't touch it. Yes, they can bring money, but I can't touch it. I lost many opportunities to make big money. But do you think that there are, you think there are other, um, other chemists who still make fentanyl in China and don't care about the ban? Very, very, very few. Very few. Very, very few. There may be one, two, three. Yeah. I don't think anyone would take that, this risk. But you said you said you had some Mexican friends who bought the tech from you. They buy all the ingredients in Mexico. Mr. Yu says that his Mexican friend bought chemical precursors for fentanyl in Mexico and then used his recipe to make it there, in clandestine labs. 
Mr. Yu charges around $60,000 for the recipe. And with the profit margins on fentanyl, it's actually not that much. In Mexico, a kilo of fentanyl sells for around $36,000. The ingredients only cost a few hundred dollars. So a dealer could buy the recipe from Mr. Yu and make back his investment with just a few kilos. But before the ban, did you ship chemicals through the mail to the United States? Like, like four or five years ago? Not fentanyl. Not fentanyl? Mm-hmm. Just a sample. Mm-hmm. Just a sample of mm-hmm. When they get the sample, hey, they said, it's okay. They the pack here. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe Mr. Yu's claim that he only ever sent samples of fentanyl into the U.S. and that he was unable to sell anything before the Chinese ban occurred. Either way, sending any fentanyl was always illegal under U.S. law. Uh, you started too late. If you started maybe three years earlier, do, do you wish you would have started earlier to get the bigger opportunity? What if you were me? What if you were me? This sums up his whole argument. What if you were me? What if you came from a poor village in China and had the opportunity to make a ton of money selling fentanyl online? Would you do it? So I came here. <laughs> hoping, hoping for more. Mr. Yu came to meet us because he thought he could make a lot of money. But now he's going home empty-handed, unless you count that Lakers jersey. I am a set up. <laughs> Sorry, friend. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. A lot is experience. American people is also people. People's life is most precious. Mm-hmm. They care more. They care. Government care more. More money is that. Care, care about the life, the money. Mm-hmm. Mr. Yu says American lives are more important than money, at least for the Chinese government. Thank you so much. You. Nice to meet you. He leaves to catch his train home a little while later, smiling but still too nervous to let us take his picture. After our meeting, we find information that seems to contradict parts of Mr. Yu's story. His site still offers synthetic opioids for sale, even though China's banned them. His site also appears to be connected to a much larger network. His company is registered with the Chinese government, and records indicate they run a bunch of other websites that offer steroids for sale. We also found records that connect Mr. Yu's site to some shady businessmen in China who've been in trouble for fraudulent contracts and other financial crimes. When I followed up with Mr. Yu in April, he sent me messages on Signal claiming again that he's quitting the illegal drug business. He said the Chinese government is cracking down on other types of research chemicals. He told me the coronavirus outbreak has been especially bad for business because it messed up the supply chain for precursor chemicals. After I kept asking about fentanyl, he wrote in one message, if someone gets killed, who should be blamed? The knife? He's saying it's the victim's fault. But he felt differently back when we saw him in Shanghai. Before we parted ways, we walked with him for a bit towards his train station. Jesse and I were up ahead, and Mr. Yu said something to Karen. He comes to me and quietly said, what I do is disgraceful. Why do you think Mr. Yu believes his work is disgraceful? Because I think ultimately he knows what he's doing is wrong. Even selling a recipe, that could end up empowering more people to make more fentanyl products that could lead to more overdoses. 
So this is a part of JFK I've never been to. Yeah, this is a part of JFK that most people have no idea exists. It's a few weeks after our trip to China, and I'm in New York City with vice producer Sophie Cases. We're at JFK Airport, heading to a warehouse that is basically the front lines of U.S. law enforcement's fight against Chinese fentanyl traffickers like Mr. Yu. Most fentanyl from China is smuggled through the postal system, mixed in with all the normal mail. If a guy like Mr. Yu sends fentanyl from Shanghai to Cincinnati, it probably passes through this building. About 60% of all international mail arriving in the U.S. passes through JFK. Good, I'm Keegan. Keegan Frank. Nice to meet you. Inside, Frank Russo, the port director for U.S. Customs and Border Protection, shows us around. The first thing we see is a glass case filled with weird stuff they've confiscated. A lot of it's fake goods. So you have a little bit of everything. Uh, obviously, the bags are, are uh, very uh, prominent uh, this time of year. Uh, you see watches, uh, a little bit of jewelry. You even have a Super Bowl. One wall in the facility is plastered with pictures of fentanyl that Frank's agents have intercepted. There are dozens of recent cases, all from China. Mr. Yu told us that nobody is shipping fentanyl to the U.S. anymore. But Frank says that's not true. The tactics have just changed. Uh, It's uh, really a sign of, of how they've adapted based on us adapting to them. And it went from larger amounts to smaller amounts so that they could try to get it through without us detecting it. It's harder, much harder to find, you know, 150 grams or 20 grams than, than 1,000 grams. The smugglers tend to hide fentanyl in innocuous packaging. I used to use greeting cards and then ship them regular mail. So literally, it was just like the most benign piece of regular mail is what I worked out to be the best method. That's the same tactic that Brandon Hubbard used to smuggle his fentanyl. Keegan, what does that greeting card say? The greeting card is great, actually. It's like a Hallmark style. It says, adulting isn't always easy, but sometimes you just have to take your best shot. And then this this is one where we would open, and then it plays a little musical tune, is that you said? Yeah, so the fentanyl was behind the music piece. Ah, and it's a little pink baggie with what you said, one to three grams? Yeah. The agents try to inspect as many packages as they can, but the sheer volume of mail makes it impossible to look inside every one. The warehouse is a huge space. There are big stacks of boxes and carts full of mail everywhere. In a corner, about a dozen agents stand next to an x-ray machine and feed in packages one by one. They open anything that looks suspicious. The process is surprisingly low-tech. Just got these pills from, from India. One of the agents finds a package with pills inside. He puts one of the pills on a piece of equipment that looks like a small digital scale. This is called a Gemini. This is just to test any unknown substance. No no match found? No match found. We could use the other part of the machine to test the actual powder. Sometimes there's a coating on the pill itself, too, which stops the laser from identifying it. So we'll break it and get a little powder instead. What did you just use to crush it with? I just used a stapler. (laughs) Just to... That's right. He's using a stapler to crush up the pill which tests negative for fentanyl. Homeland Security is developing new technologies to detect fentanyl. But even with the new machines, drugs are still going to get through. 
Looking for a few grams of white powder in a plain envelope is always going to be a needle in a haystack kind of situation. That said, it seems like China's crackdown is having an impact. From 2018 to 2019, the amount of fentanyl seized in the mail fell by almost half. It looks like even less fentanyl will be seized this year. But that doesn't mean fentanyl is going away. You know, like we, we, we forced China to take action, right? And they, they started to put laws in effect. Now it goes to Mexico, pretty much to Mexico, and then it's mixed in Mexico uh, with heroin and with other products and then shipped across. That is where we're headed. I feel nervous. Next time, we go to Mexico to meet up with reporter Miguel Angel Vega, an old friend from our Chapo podcast. I feel nervous, to be honest with you. I, I am nervous. I don't really know what to expect. This, like I said, this is the first time I'm doing this. But yeah, if you, if, if you ask me if I have to tell you on a scale from one to 10, I'd say eight. Of like how, how anxious how, you feel? No, how nervous I feel. Not anxious, nervous. And we get a first-hand look at how the Sinaloa cartel is spiking heroin with fentanyl. All right, it's cook time. Uh, they're turning on the butane, and the guy's using a little cigarette lighter, like a big, big lighter to light the butane. Hydrochloric acid, nothing to fuck with. A los gringos les gusta fuerte. <laughs> so the gringos like it strong. Killer, America's Fentanyl Crisis is a Spotify original production in partnership with Vice News. It's hosted and reported by me, Keegan Hamilton. From Vice News, Jesse Alejandro Cottrell is our producer. Editing by Annie Aviles. Sound design and original scoring by Steve Bone with help from Pran Bandy. Kate Osborne and Annie Aviles are our executive producers. From Spotify, executive producers are Liz Gately and Erica Clark. Supervising producer is Jake Kleinberg. Associate producer is Baron Farmer. Additional production on this episode by Karen Yee and Sophie Kazis. Security coordination by Rami Gali and Sharbal Namur. Lee Long was our camera operator and helped with our reporting in Nanchang and Wuhan. Special thanks to Logan Pauly from the Center for Advanced Defense Studies, Anthony Bucci with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, and Ben Westoff, who wrote an excellent book on China's role in the synthetic drug trade called Fentanyl Inc. To see a video version of our meeting with Mr. Yu and read more about this series, check out our website at painkiller.vice.com. If you're struggling with drug addiction and want to get help, call SAMHSA's National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357, or visit findtreatment.gov. 